0: Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at christfellowshipnc.org. Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, just want to let you all know that we invite our children to remain in the service with us this morning on this Memorial Day uh, weekend. We'll be thankful for them to stay in and uh, worship with us, hear God's Word uh, preached with us this morning. Um, before I take time to, to uh, read our scripture passage and pray, I just want to uh, make you all aware of kind of where we're going over the next weeks and throughout the summer with uh, with our sermons and, and preaching. Um, as most of you all are, as most of you all are aware, uh, the normal diet of our church is what uh, would be called sequential expository preaching. We work our way through books of the Bible. We just last week. Uh, finish the book of Hebrews that we spent uh, just over a year working our way through. And in a couple of weeks on June 11th, Sunday, June 11th, we will be starting the book of Ruth. And we're going to spend four or five weeks there in the book of Ruth. And then uh, after that, we'll spend about eight weeks finishing out the summer, uh, uh, looking through a selection of different Psalms. So we're going to have a summer in the Psalms. So, so that's where we're heading. Uh, but Uh, this Sunday, this morning, and next week, we're going to take a a break from working through books of the Bible. And so this morning is going to be more of a topical sermon, which we don't do a lot of in this church. But I think doing that from time to time can be helpful as we look at what God's Word says about particular topics. So uh, typically, like i said i don 't like doing this, but we 're going to be in a lot of different scripture passages this morning so uh, if you didn 't grow up doing Bible drilling, getting you, it might be challenging but uh, but hopefully you don 't have to turn to every spot I reference, uh, but we are going to be working through a variety of different passages this morning uh, but here in a moment i 'm just going to read for us ephesians five fifteen through twenty one because we will be there a little bit later in the sermon but Uh, What what I want us to look at this morning is is to ask the important question, how do we discern God's will for our lives? How do we discern God's will for our lives? That's not an easy question to answer, but yet I think it's a very important question to struggle with and to pursue the truth of God's word as it informs us about how we go about discerning God's will For our life. So let me read Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Take a moment to pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we will dive into this important question. Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, I'm just reminded of the privilege it is to gather with your people. It's a privilege to be here this morning together proclaiming the glories of Christ in song. It's a privilege to proclaim together that Jesus is alive, that he has risen, that he is our living hope. What what a privilege that is to together this morning be united to proclaim that truth together. And we know that our, even our gathering here this morning has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That every good thing that has come to us, every moment of patience and mercy that you have shown us was purchased by Christ on the cross. And so, Father, we just proclaim our full and complete dependence on Jesus this morning, on his righteous life on his all-sufficient death, on the power of his resurrection. We're thankful that he ascended and is right now sitting at your right hand, interceding for us even right now this very moment. And so, Father, we confess that we put all of our hope in Jesus Christ this morning. And we're thankful that because of that work of Christ, you have sent your spirit to dwell in us to guide us, to, to help us to understand the truth of your word, to awaken our souls, to open our blind eyes, to see the truths of your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would be at work in us this morning by the power of your spirit, through the truth of your word, for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that very thing, that you would be at work in us, shaping us, conforming us to the likeness of Christ, that your word this morning would inform our lives, that it would bring conviction to us where we need to be corrected, that it would bring encouragement where we need to be pressed along. And so, Father, may Christ be exalted in all of it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we're going to talk about the question and Lord willing, answer it biblically of how we discern God's will for our lives. And th- as I said, that is a good question to ask. It comes from a, a right motive to ask that kind of question, to want to know as followers of Jesus, what our sovereign, kind, loving Father wants us to do with our lives. How we can please Him with our lives and bring glory to His name. That's, that's a good question to ask. But we can often struggle with that question because we can feel this overwhelming burden when we're trying to make decisions. We feel this overwhelming burden that we have to pick the right option, we got to do it or God's going to strike us down with lightning. Like we, we've got to It can result in and, and we feel this overwhelming burden about it. And in fact, for some people, it can result in decision-making paralysis. We, we don't move forward. We just sit back and don't make a decision because we're terrified of making the wrong decision. And so even that can be a hindrance to our walk with Christ because we don't do anything because we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing. So how do we wade through the options that are before us in our life when we have decisions to make? Decisions like, what career should I pursue? What, what job should I go after? Should I go back to school? Should I leave my current job because of some issue going on and pursue another job? Should, should we sell our house and move to a different area? At what age should I retire? When I retire, what should I spend my retired years doing? Should I go into full-time ministry? Should I become an international missionary? And the list goes on and on and on about the decisions that we have to make in our lives. Who should we date? Who should we marry, right? There's, There's all kinds of difficult decisions that we have to make where we need to be pursuing God's will and seeking to discern his will for our lives. Now, when the world is faced with those kinds of decisions, They go to all kinds of strange and uh, interesting ways of trying to discern what they ought to do. And unfortunately, Christians sometimes get caught up in these ways of trying to discern what they ought to do with their lives, right? Some people go visit psychics who... Uh, claim to be able to know what's best for you, right? They'll pull out tarot cards and kind of read what the cards say about your future and what you ought to do and what you ought to pursue or some other kind of strange method where we talk about, we cliche say, read the tea leaves, but I mean, people literally do that, right? They put tea leaves in a thing and look and see what shape it forms and, and let that determine what we ought to do with our lives. Some people like to look in the newspaper, in the astrology section. I just really dated myself, right? Newspaper, what's a newspaper? Uh, whatever, they pursue astrology. Like what, what am I supposed to do with my life uh, today or this week? What, what's in store for me? What's coming my way? Some people are always looking for signs, right? You just kind of look for signs like around, maybe on the ground or in the sky. And we, we, we look for affirmations of what, we want to do. But ultimately, I think if most people are honest, when they look for signs, they just ignore the things that would indicate what they don't want. And they see the things that help push them toward what they actually want. And then they backfill it. Well, I saw all the signs and it told me to do it. So that's what I'm going to do, right? And that's not really helpful. So, and then there's more logical ways to do it as well, right? And these aren't necessarily wrong. We can, we can make a list of pros and cons and write down all the good seemingly good things on one side and all the seemingly bad things on the other side. And if there's more good things than bad things, then clearly that's what we ought to do, right? That's, a, that's another way to pursue decision-making. And again, that's not necessarily sinful, but it just presses the question on us all the more, how does God want us to go about a decision? How does he want us to make difficult decisions in our life? How do we discern the Lord's will for our lives. Well, let's, Lord willing, let's dive into the Word of God and see for ourselves. And I think by the time we get to the end of this, if I'm being honest, we're going to discover that the answer we come to is probably not the answer you want, but it's the answer you need. It's not going to be a 10-step process, and when you get to the end of it, you're going to know for certain exactly I think what to do with your life. Right. So I not us to, do it to be what you want, but it's going to be, I think, what we all need. So what I want us to do is look at six criteria, six biblical criteria that we need to consider to discern the Lord's will for our life. I'm going to just mention them quickly now, and then we'll take them one at a time. So if you, if you take notes, don't feel like you've got to scribble them all down right now. I'll, I'll mention each of these as we work our way through. But here they are. Here's six criteria. Number one. We number one, we must trust Jesus as our savior. We must trust Jesus as our savior. Number 2, we must walk by the spirit. We must walk by the spirit. Number 3, we must pursue sanctification. Number 4, we must be willing to endure hard things if necessary. We must be willing to endure hard things if necessary. And number five, sorry, I said six. There's only five, five criteria. Number five, we must make the local church a priority. We must make the local church a priority. So number one, we must trust Jesus as our Savior. Now you may be thinking, it's pretty basic, isn't it, right? That you must trust Jesus as your Savior. Well, I never want us to presume or assume Jesus, Right? Let's not run past this. If we're going to know what God wants for our life, if we're going to discern God's will for our life, then we need to be placing our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. That's what God ultimately wants for your life. Right. We see that Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That God is kind toward us because he wants us to repent of our sin and to turn to Christ in faith. Or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The will of God for your life is that you repent of your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ for your salvation. That you would look to the righteous life of Christ as standing in your in place of your sinful life. That you would look to the cross where Jesus took the wrath that you deserved on himself and that you would trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look, the reality is, That The fact that you're still alive and drawing breath right now, this very moment, is because of God's patience toward us. That's why we're here right now. And he is patient toward us because he wants us to reach a place of repentance and trust in his glorious son. So I just want to be sure that we start here. This is the most important foundational direction you can take in your life is to be sure that you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Furthermore, furthermore, if you don't get this right, no other decision in your life matters. If you don't get this step right, no other decision you make ultimately, ultimately eternally matters. Listen to Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. Here in Colossians, we are reminded that God designed the universe for the purpose of exalting Jesus Christ. That's why the universe exists. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This universe was created through Jesus Christ, Colossians 1 says to us, and it was created for him. This world, this universe, every created thing was designed by God to put the glory of Jesus Christ on display. That's the end game of the universe. That's why God created the universe, is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. It is the end for which God created the world. So if you want your life, if you want your life to line up with God's desire for the universe for God's will for the universe, then guess what your life needs to be about? It needs to be about bringing glory to Jesus Christ. If it's not about that, then you are working directly contrary to the will of God for the universe. He wants your life to bring glory to Jesus Christ. There is no greater purpose you can hitch your life to than the pursuit of making much of Jesus. Jesus. So every decision must be run through that filter. Is this going to allow me to glorify Jesus Christ with my life? And if it can't do that, then none of the other pros or cons matter. Right? Just imagine. Imagine an Olympic sprinter, right? Someone who's trained their whole life. They're in the Olympics. They're there to represent their country. That's why they're there. They're there to win a race for their country. And they show up on race day with a 25-pound weight vest on. And the teammates look at them and say, why in the world are you wearing a 25-pound weight vest five minutes before we're getting ready to start this race? And imagine if the runner's answer, the sprinter's answer was, well, I just, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I just feel like this is the right thing. It's really comfortable and I like the way it looks and uh, I'm being sponsored by the company who made the weight vest. They're going to give me a lot of money if I wear this weight vest to run in this race and I'm just really, I'm at peace with wearing the weight vest. All right, what, what, what are his teammates going to say to him? You're crazy. That's not, none of those things are why you're here. You're not here to be comfortable. You're not here to make money, ultimately. You're not here to be at peace with the weight vest on. You're not here to look good. You're here to win a race for your country. That's why you're here. Take off the weight vest. I don't care what are the reasons you have to wear it. None of those reasons matter if you're not going to win the race. You see, the reality is we give all those kinds of reasons to things that hinder us from living for the glory of Jesus. We fill our lives with all the kinds of excuses. Well, I'm at peace about this. I'm comfortable in this. I'm going to make a lot of money in this. But none of those things matter. That They're going to hold you back from running for the glory of Jesus Christ. So, yes, yeah, step, step number one, criteria number one, if you're going to discern the Lord's will for your life, is that you must put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and align your life with his purposes. So that you can live for the glory of his name. So you must trust in Jesus Christ. But once you trust in Christ, you are then free to walk by the Spirit. So here's criteria number two. We must walk by the Spirit. Now, I know this probably sounds like we're a lot, you know, adding a lot of uncertainty, right? It feels like unhelpful advice. You know, Pastor Jonathan, how do I determine God's will for my life? And, you know, just walk by the Spirit. And you're thinking, that is not helpful, <laughs> right? Well, so, so what do I mean when I say we must walk by the Spirit? Well, let me state what I don't mean. When I say walking by the Spirit, I don't mean that we ought to just sit around and wait to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in our ears. Right? That's, that's not what I mean. That's, I don't think that's what God is saying to us. I don't think we wait and sit around and we don't take any action unless we hear him whisper in our ear. I mean, think how paralyzing that would be, right? Well, I'm not going to do anything unless I hear this, some kind of, you know, whispering of what the spirit wants me to do. Or furthermore, even taking it one step back, I would have to wait and see, well, what decisions should even be in that category? I need the spirit to tell me what decisions I need to wait on the spirit to tell me what to do. It's paralyzing, So so when I say walk by the Spirit, that's not what I mean. So what do I mean when I say we must walk by the Spirit? Well, Galatians 5.16 instructs us in this. This is what Galatians 5.16 says. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Which means if you are walking by the Spirit, you are putting sin to death in your life. That if you are walking by the Spirit, you're not giving in to your selfish, sinful desires. Right? In our men's Bible study, we looked at 1 Peter 2.11 that says, the passions of the flesh wage war against your souls. That is staggering language. The passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. So if, if you want to, Put to death those selfish, sinful desires, those passions that that are there to do war against your soul. That if you're going to put those things to death, then God's word in Galatians 5.16 says you have to walk by the Spirit. Because you see, if you are living in sin, if you're giving in to the passions of the flesh and you're gratifying the desires of the flesh, then you are without question not pursuing God's will for your life. If you are in sin, you are not pursuing God's will for your life. So if you're going to therefore begin to pursue God's will for your life and discern what he wants you to do, then you must walk by the Spirit and put those sins to death. If you're going to discern the Lord's will for your life, you must walk by the Spirit and put sin to death and run after sanctification. But... How do we do this? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Is it some kind of mystical experience? Does it mean when you read your Bible, like a a light from heaven shines down on the right passage you're supposed to be looking at, right? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit practically? Well, we read earlier Ephesians chapter five. So let me reference this once more. Ephesians 5, 15 to 18 says, look carefully then how you walk, Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you hear that? Be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So so one of the ways or a few of the ways that we are to be filled with the Spirit is to gather with God's people, right? Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing on Sunday morning to each other is one way that we are to be filled with the Spirit. We address one another with the truth of God's Word in song. We, we are to be a thankful, thanksgiving people. That's another way that we are filled with the Spirit. But then what I want you to see is the connection between that passage about addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and being filled with the spirit and what we read in Colossians chapter 3. Very similar language with one slight tweak in Colossians 3. Colossians 3:16 3, and 17 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, singing truth to one another, Colossians 3:16 says, the way we do that is by letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Which means if you want to walk with the Spirit, You have to walk with the Word of God. You have to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And that goes beyond just coming on Sunday morning and sitting under preaching. That's certainly part of it. It's, I would say, an essential part of it, but it's not all of it. If you're going to have the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, you must make personal Bible reading, Bible study a part of the discipline of your life. We often want to think of being filled with the Spirit as some kind of mystical thing that we can't control. He comes and goes, this, that, and the other. But the reality is, it's just a matter of sitting down and opening God's Word and letting His Word dwell in you richly. That's why Ephesians 6.17, it's that Ephesians 6, that, that famous passage about putting on the armor of God. And it calls the Bible. Do you remember this? It calls the Bible... The sword of the Spirit. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And as you take the Word of God, pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. So read God's Word. Pray God's Word. Uh, lean on the truth of God's Word. Pursue God as you pray His Word back to Him. And then we read precious promises like James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him, right? We read that, we pray that to God and we, we ask him to give us wisdom. That's one way that we're filled with the spirit. We just ask him to fill us with his wisdom. And look, James 1.5 is a, is a precious promise from God. There are all kinds of things that are good that we could have that we ask God for, but for whatever reason, he withholds that good thing from us for a little while right? If you're single, it might be a good thing to get married. If you're a young person that wants to get married, but he may not give it to you yet. He withholds it from you for a time. That's what I mean. There are some good things that God withholds for seasons for whatever reason he may see fit. But this promise, this promise, James 1 5 says, if you ask, he's ready to pour it out on you. He's ready to pour out wisdom on you. He's not going to hold back wisdom from you. God doesn't want you confused about what you ought to do in your life. That's not who he is. He is not a God of confusion. He is ready for you as you are filled with the Spirit, through the truth of his word, praying, taking up the sword of the Spirit, praying. He is ready to pour wisdom out on you. And that wisdom is filling you with the internal ability to wisely discern what path he wants you to take. So if we're going to discern the, God, uh, if we're going to discern the Lord's will for our life, we must trust in Jesus Christ. We must walk by the Spirit, meaning fill, his, uh, fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of his word, pursuing him in prayer. And then as we do that we come to the third criteria we must pursue sanctification we must pursue sanctification Here's one of the most clear Thessalonians in all of scripture about the will of God for your life 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 For this is the will of God your sanctification right so we ask all kinds of questions for the Bible. Does the Bible tell me what the will of God is for my life? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what God wants for your life. And uh, a little bit later in that chapter, verses 7 and 8 goes on to say, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God wants you to be about pursuing sanctification with your life. He wants you to be more and more like Jesus. He wants you to hate what he hates. He wants you to love what he loves. He wants you to pursue what he pursues. It means that you're going to be uh, at work in your life fighting against sin. You're going to fight against everything that robs you of pursuing joy in Christ with your life. Anything that robs you of pursuing the glory of Christ for your life. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Therefore, one of the most important questions you can ask when you have a difficult decision in front of you, Right, we listed a bunch of examples earlier. Should should I take a new job? Should I move? Should I retire? All these kinds of big questions. One of the most important questions you can ask to help you discern what you ought to do is simply this: Will this decision help or hinder my sanctification? Will this decision help me be more like Jesus? Now, I would dare say that that question rarely comes into people's minds when they have difficult life decisions to make. Right? We'll write, out, we'll write out lists of pros and cons. But do we ever put on that list of pros and cons, this will help me be more like Jesus on the pro side or on the con side, this will not help me be more like Jesus. And how we answer that question outweighs everything else on the piece of paper because if that decision is going to keep you from being like Jesus, then you ought not to do it. Plain and simple because the will of God for your life is what? Your sanctification. That's what he wants for you. So for example, if taking a new job is going to move you to an area of of the country where there aren't any healthy churches that can shepherd your soul and point you to the glories of Christ week in and week out, then I would say to you, you ought not pursue that job. If there's a job that that you're considering taking all the things being equal, and, and that job is going to significantly increase your hours and time commitment in such a way that it takes you away from having time to pursue God's Word and your personal spiritual disciplines. It's going to keep you away from your family. It's going to keep you from being involved in the local church. Then guess what? That is not God's will for your life. Because the Lord's will is your sanctification. And anything that gets in the way of that is not what he wants you to give your life to. The will of God is your sanctification. Therefore, we must make that a priority in our lives. Number four, the fourth criteria. We must be willing to endure hard things if necessary. We must be willing to endure hard things if necessary. Let me state this really clearly, or hopefully it's clear. The difficulty or ease of a task has very little to do with whether or not you are in God's will. The difficulty or ease of a task has very little to do with whether or not you are in God's will. And because of that, there are some decisions that you're going to be faced with in life where making a list of pros and cons is going to be really unhelpful. Because the cons side is going to have all the difficult stuff on it. <laughs> and God may want you to do it Anyway. For example, at the end of Paul's missionary journeys, he's coming, uh, we're coming to the end of the book of Acts. And Paul's heading toward Jerusalem. He wants to get to Jerusalem. And we're in Acts chapter 21. And everybody knows he's going to Jerusalem. Everybody knows that's where he wants to go. That's what he feels like he ought to do. He's ready to go and to be there. In Acts 21, 10 through 14 says this, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agamemnon bound his own down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, "Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles." When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, Paul, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. All right. so think about this for a second. So Paul is trying to make a decision, right? He has a major decision to make. Do I go to Jerusalem or do I not go to Jerusalem? And Paul lists pros and cons. And on the con side is imprisonment or death. Th- those are pretty strong cons, right? But what does he do? He goes anyway. Because the glory of Jesus is worth it. Because the proclamation of the gospel is worth it. Because the mission that God has sent him on is worth it. And that pro of bringing glory to Jesus Christ outweighs death and imprisonment. Now, Part of this we have to remember is that in the midst of suffering, in the midst, in the midst of hardship, is very often the place where, where God wants us to grow the most in our faith, right? That's one of the other reasons we ought not to avoid hard things. As the women learned in James in their Bible study, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it joy when you go through trials. Because God is at work in the midst of those trials to shape you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Or as the men have been learning in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19... Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God uses hard things to help us become more like Jesus, to help us pursue sanctification, which is his will for us. Now, the wrong application of this would be, though, to assume that the hardest choice is, is always the right choice. I want to be clear that that's that's not what I'm saying either. It doesn't mean that every opportunity that uh, that comes before you for a hard thing, then that's certainly what you need to do, right? It doesn't mean you need to run after suffering and find the ways you can suffer the most and just run after it with everything that you have. That is that is not what I am saying. In fact, we see that even in Paul's own life, right? Earlier in Acts, he uh, there's a plot against him. They're ready to, to kill Paul. They're gonna take him out, imprison him, Word gets back to him and some of his disciples. And so what do they do? They sneak him out a window. They lower him in a basket down the wall. So did Paul take the hard thing, the the suffering? No, he avoided it, right? So I'm not saying that every time there's a hard thing, that therefore makes it the right thing. But what I want to correct is the assumption that the hardest thing is never the right thing. We must be willing at times to endure and to pursue the hardest option. And this is why the old Christian cliche that even I'm guilty of where we say things like, I'm going to pursue this option <clears throat> until God closes the door can be a really unhelpful statement. Now, not always, but it. Can be unhelpful because often what we mean by closing the door is I'm going to pursue this until it gets hard. And God may want you to endure the hardship. And the difficulty of it may not be Him closing the door, it may be Him opening the door to sanctify your heart and your soul and your life and make you more like Jesus. So let's just be cautious with weighing pros and cons when it comes to pursuing God's will for our life. And we have to realize that there are times in our lives when the greater joy and the greater happiness in Christ may lay at the end of a difficult path of suffering, not in avoiding it. Now decisions like that can be really difficult. So ultimately, do I do the hard thing or do I do the easy thing? Do I do the, long, the thing in spite of the long list of cons? right? How do we make that decision? Well, that's why if we're going to discern the Lord's will for our lives, we need the fifth criteria, which is to make the local church a priority. Criteria number five, we must make the local church a priority. If you want to know God's will for your life, and the commitment to a healthy local church must be part of it. This is not optional for Christians. Church is not something you can do on the side. We've talked about this throughout the book of Hebrews over and over and over and over again. It is throughout the book of Hebrews. It's throughout the New Testament. We see it, for example, in a, a Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect to meet together. Instead, come, gather together, Come, be together so that you can encourage others to pursue good, so that you can be encouraged to pursue good, so that we can spur one another along to love and good work, so that we can help each other discern the Lord's will for our lives. <clears throat> In fact, Hebrews 10 says that if we're going to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, we need each other. If we're going to hold fast to the confession without wavering, then we need to gather and be encouraged to pursue love and good works. Which means that in any major life decision, one of the main questions we need to ask is, how is it going to impact our ability to be involved in a local church? We need the church because our hearts, though made new in Christ, are still stained with sin And the reality is that you and I, all of us, we are all really good at producing justification to pursue what we want and lie to ourselves and cloud our judgment. Therefore, we need other people speaking truth into our lives. We need to recognize our sinful tendencies our selfish motivations and therefore ask people outside of us, ask our church family, ask our brothers and sisters in Christ to help give us wisdom about decisions that we need to make. Are you helping each other make God-honoring decisions in your life? We need that. Therefore, anything that gets in the way of your involvement in local church as we talked about earlier It's not God's will for your life because it's going to muddy the waters of what you ought to be pursuing. And look, this requires humility on your part. It requires humility and it requires openness. It requires the humility to recognize that you have sinful, selfish desires that cloud your judgment and you need wisdom from others. And it requires openness to allow others to speak truth into your life. And if you're not willing to humble yourself and to open up your life to that input, it's very hard to see clearly. Look, it's why we, we need to pursue relationships with one another, right? It's in our mission statement. We need to love one another so that we can help uh, one another, so that we can be used of God in each other's lives to provide honest feedback to each other, to be willing to ask for honest feedback. Look, I've got this tough decision, right? This happens in our life groups. I've got a tough decision. I don't know which way to go with it. And I just really, I'm wary of my selfish, sinful desires in this situation. And I just want you all to hear what I'm struggling with. And I would love to get wisdom from you all on this particular decision. Will you help speak some truth into my life? Because I just can't figure out the path forward on this. Right. You need that. I need that. And that happens here in our body of believers being committed to a local church. In fact, as awkward as this is to say as an elder, we, we saw this in Hebrews, right? That, that Hebrews chapter thirteen seventeen calls on God's people to obey and submit to their leaders as those who will have to give an account for their souls so I would just even encourage you all that there are a lot of decisions in your life that you ought to pursue wisdom from your elders about. That you ought to come to them and just say, look, I'm struggling with this. And I know that God has given you as a shepherd over my soul. And I, I just I need the help of the four, currently in our context, I need the help of the four of you to help me discern this. I'm not saying that because I want to control your life. <laughs> That's not why I'm saying that. I'm saying it because I want to care for you because we want to help you because what we want is for you to pursue God's will for your life and if we can help you discern that and be a part of that decision-making process, we want to do that. We want to walk through that with you. Now, we, we, we've come to the end of these five criteria and you, you may be thinking, but okay, but I still don't know which job I'm supposed to take. (laughs) I still don't know what house I'm supposed to buy. I still don't know what decision I'm supposed to make. Well, that's where you run through each of these priorities. So, So you ask yourself, ask yourself these honest questions. Ask other people these honest questions about your life. Are you trusting in Jesus and seeking to align your life with glorifying him? Okay, yes. Or Are you consistently in God's word, seeking to walk by the Spirit and and asking the Lord to give you wisdom? Yes. Are you you pursuing sanctification? Are you uh, going after putting sin to death in your life and finding your joy in becoming more like Jesus? Yeah, I I think so. will, Will any of these potential options hinder your sanctification? Will they hinder your involvement in the local church? No, I, I don't think either of them will do that. Are you willing to endure hard things if necessary? Are, are you avoiding this just because it's difficult? No, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what's happening in my heart. Okay, so are, are you willing to, to be absolutely committed to the local church? Yes, I've, I've demonstrated that with my life. Have, have you sought advice and prayer and counsel from your brothers and sisters in Christ and from the elders of your church? Yeah, yeah, I've done that. But I still don't know which thing I'm supposed to do. So you, you come to the end of all these questions. You have multiple options in front of you. You've run through this checklist and, and, and everything checks out with, with both options. Then I have an earth shattering piece of advice for you this morning. Are you ready? Pick one. Right? Just pick one. There's not this singular one direction you have to go or else God is going to strike you down with lightning. If you're pursuing all these other things in your life, if you're pursuing all these other criteria in your life, if you are trusting in Jesus pursuing God's word, lining your life up with what he wants out of your life, if you're pursuing his glory in all things, if it's not going to hinder your sanctification, if it's not going to hinder your involvement in the local church, if it's not going to hinder your commitment to your family and all of these things, ultimately, God just wants you to pick one and live for the glory of his name. Don't become paralyzed and immobile. Far too often, look, I'm just going to be blunt, Christians use over-spiritualization as an excuse not to make hard decisions. Sometimes it really just doesn't matter if you've run through all these other things. And God just wants you to decide and take action and live for the glory of his name. That's why I said we may get to the end of this and it's not the answer you want to hear, but it's the answer you need to hear. If all of these things are true in your life, he doesn't want you obsessing, stressed out, worried about finding the one exact right path that he has for you or else he's gonna make your life miserable. That's, that's not who our God is. He's a generous, gracious, wisdom-giving God. He wants clarity in your life and he gives it, he, he gives it. And so pursue these criteria in your life And you'll be ready to make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord and allow your church, your brothers and sisters of Christ and your leaders to come alongside you and walk with you through those tough decisions. Make the glory of Christ a priority of your life. Put Jesus at the center and he will do what he promised at the end of Matthew. He will be with you always to the end of the age. You can bank on that. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful <clears throat> for your word. We are thankful for your spirit that you have given us, that dwells in us. We are thankful that you are a God who gives wisdom. You, you don't hold back wisdom from us if we ask for it. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us a people who want to pursue the glory of Christ with our life, that we would line our lives up with your purpose for the entire universe, that we would be aligned with your objectives to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would make us a people who walk by the Spirit, who put sin to death in our life, who who let your word dwell in us richly, who pursue you in prayer and plead with you to give wisdom and pursue sanctification. Father, I pray that you would give all of us as we pursue these things just a freedom to walk in Christ and to align our lives with your purposes. I pray, I pray that you would help us all to experience that freedom that we have in you to live for the glory of your name. And I pray that you would give each of us a humility and an openness to pursue wisdom from our brothers and sisters in Christ to discern your will for our lives. But ultimately, Father, I pray that all of our lives would be lived for the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would make much of his name through the lives of this church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.